Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, church. It's, it's the last Sunday until Christmas, all right? It just And for the gentlemen... Get your shopping done probably either today or tomorrow, all right? If you're going to do Amazon, you got to print that thing, put it in the stocking or in the present, whatever you got to do, but get your shopping done ASAP. I know you're probably not all the way done yet if you are like me and just wait till the last second. Um, I am uh, the other Pastor Charlie, and so now you can call me the bald Pastor Charlie since I shaved my head. I know I have all this. We're on, we're on, I'm on a staff with a bunch of people with great hair, and it's and, and I get so jealous that I finally just said, you know what? I'm just going to be like 90% of the people in this room right now and just shave my head and go bald. All the other, all the other bald men say, hey, Lento's up here with a ponytail, but, you know, it's, it's coming back. Um, and so we just, uh, just wanted to introduce myself. I know I'm the new guy. I've been here. So if you think I'm new, I got to say this. I've been here the whole time. Coronavirus has been here. And that feels like forever, right? And so, like, you just got to think, I've been here for a long, long time now. At least that's what it feels like. And, uh, and if you don't know that much about me, I'm actually from a, a part of California called Central California. And, uh, and I moved here, went to Vanguard, met my wife at Vanguard. And, um, and I am half Arab. So if you notice my name, my name will say Charlie Bakar, not Baker. All right? I'm not that white. Um, and so Bakar. Bakar comes from Syria. And so in my family... I have a, a couple different Christmases. My mom and dad split up when I was young, and so I had the joy of having multiple Christmases. So for my dad's family, for Christmas, we have the stuff called dolma. All right, so dolma is rolled grape leaves. Has anybody ever had rolled grape leaves? All right, perfect. They're so good. And we have them, like, I've had them cold. That's not that good. My mom and my aunts and, and, uh, and, and all those people on my Arab side of the family, they all make it hot, like with lemon water, and you, oh, and it is is delicious is glorious i hope you get to experience that one day so i have that that's my that's my uh, dad side of the family that's the arab side that's the bakar side and then i have my wife's side of the family and she is 100 percent mexican okay now you're gonna see her yeah all right very nice so you're gonna see her you're gonna think she's white all right because she she's just light skin okay if you talk to her, she speaks Spanish. So we have, obviously, tamales, right? And, uh, and we have pozole and all that kind of stuff. And I never had that growing up. I didn't know what a tamale was. Um, and then I had one. And at first I didn't like them, but then, then I had a real one. And then I was like, oh, I like these, all right? Because you get the fake ones sometimes at, like, Miguel's and stuff. But when you get the real ones, right? From, from Nana, that's, that's the best, all right? Now, and I love, I love my, my Arab side of the family. I love tamales with, with my wife's side of the family, but my favorite thing in the world is barbecue, okay? Is there any barbecue fans in here? Do we like barbecue? This is good. I have, I have a thing I do. My wife is like, does anybody else's uh, wife do the, uh, where do you want to eat? And then I ask her where she wants to eat, and then we just end up in the, the twilight zone of going home, right? So I have, I've come up with a, uh, I've come up with a system. Fellas, you can steal this if you want. Whenever my wife asks me where I want to eat, I just say barbecue, all right? And this is my, this is my thing, is I feel like you could get 
almost anything at a barbecue joint, right? If my wife's like, oh, I'm feeling a salad. Well, let me tell you about the salads at the barbecue joint. They actually come with real meat. It's, it's amazing, right? So you get a salad, you get a chicken sandwich at a barbecue joint, right? If you're on the healthier thing. But then you can get things like ribs and brisket and the good. That's why you go, okay? So I'm always, so that's like my go-to. If she says, where are we going? I say barbecue. Then I convince her to go to barbecue and she can't make a decision anyways. So we end up going to the barbecue joint. So anytime we have a place where I'm like, where should we go? I'm always saying barbecue. So the other uh, couple years ago, this is two days, two days before my little sister's wedding. I am the oldest of four kids. So it's me, Charlie, Francie, Evie, and Tommy, right? So that's how the line goes. By the way, we're all a year apart. So I'm 34. Their sister's 33. Other sister's 32. My little brother's 31, right? Four kids all year apart. My mom's a beast, okay? I'm gonna just tell you right now, all right? It was sweet. And, uh, and so my little sister, Evie, she's about to get married. And two days before the wedding, so the day before the wedding rehearsal, um, Amy's family comes in. They're like, where should we go to eat? I'm obviously up for it. I'm like, barbecue. So we go to our barbecue joint right there. I get ribs, which is always good to get. Okay, I love ribs. But then I also decide, you know what? I'm going I'm to go a little, uh, I'm gonna go a little, little West Coast. I'm going to get some shrimp with this, all right? So some ribs and some shrimp. I wish I had never gotten the shrimp. I'm going to tell you right now, I wish I, wish, I wish I had never made that decision because we get home from a good barbecue meal and I start to feel that, that feeling. You, you know the feeling. And I'm, listen, I'm trying to mind over matter this. I'm trying to name it and claim it. I ain't, nope, I'm not sick today, not today. And I'm trying, I'm just in my brain. I'm like, please. And, and it kind of comes and goes in waves. I'm like, no, I'm all right. And I'm like, oh, and I'm no. And finally, because this, you know, food poisoning never happens at a good time of the day. It always happens at like two in the morning, right? It's always the weird thing that you ate at dinner. Two in the morning, I'm up and I'm just, I'm sick like everywhere for like hours. I'm up and I'm up and I'm up. And I don't know it's food poisoning just yet. I just know I'm really sick. And I'm probably up from like one or two in the morning to like five or six in the morning, just getting up, you know, every couple minutes. Um, you know, just throwing up, and it's just feeling, oh, I just feel awful. I wake up in the morning, and I'm in, I'm in total, like, I got a fever, and I got a chills, and I am a total, like, that whole idea of, like, the man flu, right, where, like, the man feels sick, and he just is, I'm, that's me, man. Like, if I don't feel good, I'm out. I'm, like, on the bed, babe, please help me, right? And so I am totally out, and I don't know what to do. I got a fever. I got chills, but it's, it's the day of my sister's wedding rehearsal, so I'm trying to get better. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to sleep. You know, Amy's getting ready. The wedding rehearsal comes. I still feel sick. She leaves. They're doing the wedding rehearsal. And now I'm thinking like, oh my gosh, and I'm performing the ceremony, all right? So I'm an integral part of this. I'm probably the most important part of the whole wedding, you know, you know, the second bride and groom. And, uh, and so I'm just freaking out. And I'm like, so I do what, what does anybody here have, um, raise your hand if you have a relative who's like a nurse or a doctor or like an EMT, right? Just raise your hand really quick. All right, then you do probably what you do. Okay, like five, six of you. Do you ever call them? Like when you say, yes, right? I told my sister, I was like, you became an RN. That's great. I'm so excited for you, but I'm calling you all the time. So if I got the sniffles, I'm calling Francie, right? And so I'm just, and that's just, you know, I, I think that's part of your healthcare oath. Like you just got to take all the calls from your family. And so, um, so I call my sister, I'm like, Francie, I'm I just, I, I just don't feel good. I, I don't know what's going on. I got fever and chills and, and I want to be ready. What can I take? And I'm hoping that she like, she's like, well, if you just, you know, suck on a ginger root and you'll feel great. Like, I don't know what she's going to tell me. Like, I just want, I just want something. Right. 
And I'm not, you know, throwing up anymore, but, but I just still feel, I just still feel really bad with the fever and ache it shows. So she goes, Charlie, go just take two ibuprofen and, uh, and let's see how you feel. Now listen, I've had ibuprofen before, right? It's like a big deal. But I was like, you know what? My sister way smarter than me. I take those two. If my wife had told me to take two ibuprofen, I'd be like, you don't know what you're talking about. My sister tells me, I'm like, where are they? And uh, so I take my two ibuprofen and I'm not kidding. I'm not messing with you. I'm not, I'm not trying to like, you know, preachers exaggerate. I'm not trying to exaggerate. Within 15 minutes, I am 100% better. It was amazing. I was like, have I been sleeping on ibuprofen? Like, is this the cure for all? Like, I was, it was like everything, I was like, I was eating again. It was amazing. And, and, I, and it just felt like the cure. Like, I seriously felt like, I was like, oh my gosh, did we just find the cure to, to all sickness right here? Just ibuprofen? Who would have known? And, and I asked my sister, I go, Francie, like, why, why did that happen? How come I was feeling so sick and all I did was take two ibuprofen, which isn't like antibiotics or anything? How come I felt better? And she told me, now listen, don't, don't WebMD copy and paste me and be like, you're wrong after I tell you this story, right? I'm just telling you what my sister told me, okay? You, I'll give her your number and you can fight with her and you'll lose because it's my sister. And, uh, and so she tells me, she goes, well, what probably happened, Charlie, is, is, you know, when you were sick, your body thought you had a virus. So when your body thinks you have a virus, it's gonna give you the things to kill the virus, a fever and chills and all that kind of stuff because it probably just thought, it didn't think you had food poisoning, you threw up so much that your body initially reacted to what was going on. So then when you took the ibuprofen, it factory, you know, kind of reset your body and then it just knew you were good and so you just kind of kept on going with your day. If that is true, amazing. If it's not, I don't care, okay? Because we're gonna move on with the story. Because all that mattered to me in that moment were those two pills that I took, those two little ibuprofens, when I took them, I felt like I had found a cure. It was like one of those things that you want to happen. Like you, you turn around and you feel better. And that is exactly what I felt in that moment that I had a cure. And so that's what we're gonna be talking about today. But before we do that, I just wanna quickly go over uh, our theme verse of this year, which is, or of this series, sorry, Isaiah 9, 6. And you can, re- can you guys read it with me, okay? I'm gonna try to read it along with you, okay? Because I notice that when Pastor Jim reads it, he reads it at his own pace, and then we're all trying to like figure out what the pace is. And, do you know what I mean? Does anybody know? Anybody else notice that? All right. So I'm gonna try and read it with you, but it might not work because I really don't know how hard this is. So this is Isaiah 9, 6. We're gonna start right here. So it goes like this. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. And so our series goes, our series point goes, God's will is not a a maybe. God's will is a will be, all right? So God's will is not a maybe. And you see all throughout this, he will be called the Wonderful Counselor. He will come. Like those are all will. So God's will is not a maybe. Now, what does this have to do with this idea of me being cured? Well, that will of God came in the form of a baby. So we're gonna look at what that looks like right here in Matthew. Now, in another, ch- in another book, you have the angel come to Mary, right? And you get that full interaction. Well, in Matthew, you don't have the full interaction of the angel with Mary. You have that Joseph heard about that story, but you don't, you don't exactly see what happens. In Matthew, you get the interaction between Joseph and the angel in his dream. So that's what I'm gonna read to you really quick. It says, but when, in Matthew 1, verses 20 through 25, but when he had thought this over, and he's talking about, he's thinking about leaving Mary because she's pregnant. She says it's from God. And he's like, I don't trust you fully yet. Um, and so he's thinking about leaving her. But he says, but when he had thought this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, 
Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. Now all this took place so that it was as spoken by the Lord through the prophet would be fulfilled. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel had commanded him and took Mary as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. What that angel says all that time ago, he goes, do you know the sickness that has enveloped the world from the beginning of the Eden? So the beginning of the Garden of Eden till now, that sickness that has infected the world, he goes, the cure is coming. And it's going to come as this baby that you're going to raise and you're going to name him Jesus. And we have the opportunity to know and understand what that cure can do for us and how we should react to that cure today. As we got all this talk in the media about vaccines and all kinds of stuff, we want to talk about the cure that is Christ that has come to this world and what he has done and how we should be reacting to it. So before we get to any of that, can we pray really quick? So bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Father, God, I thank you for this opportunity. God, I thank you for the opportunity to work at a church with a senior pastor would be so humble as to always take jokes and, and even to bring out a table. God, I thank you for the opportunity to work with a staff, God, that, God, that is so talented. God, to be in a church that is so willing to serve you. So, Father, we pray as we, as we talk about the cure that is coming, God, as we talk about you as a savior of this world, that, Father, the, these words would pierce the hearts of those in here who need to hear what you have spoken to them today. That, God, we would not put up our barriers or anything like that. That, Father, we would relax a little bit and hear what you have for us in your word today. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to go through, really quick, we're going to go through a story. It's very Christmassy. You would know this one, right? This is, this is top ten Christmas Bible stories, right? This is, this is Jesus and the ten lepers. Jesus and the ten lepers. Don't you, isn't that the Christmas story you all, you know, read around your Christmas tree, Right? It's in the song, right? The 12 drummers drumming, 11 pipers piping, 10 lepers leaping. You guys don't know? You guys don't know about the lepers? Well, let me just, let me tell you why we're going to go through this story really quick. This story, the, the, the 10 lepers story, is a, is a micro story of the bigger story, right? So we have the big story that, that the angel talks about, right? He talks about uh, uh, a cure that is coming that is going to save the world. So you have from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end of the Bible is a story about Jesus, Right? A story of the coming of Jesus, a story of Jesus' coming, and the story of when he leaves and what he leaves behind. That is the whole story of the Bible. So what, what the angel says is, hey, this is the big story. This Jesus is coming, and he is going to save the world from sin. Now we're going to get a micro story of what that looks like with Jesus and the ten lepers. So it's the big story kind of condensed down, a real story condensed down into how the world reacts when Jesus heals these ten lepers. So let's read the story, and then we're going to kind of go through it. So this is Luke 17. This is kind of, we're going to hang out here today. Luke 17, verse 11. It's going to be on the screen, or you can pull it up. Uh, you can either open your Bible, or you can turn on your Bible, either one you want to do. And it goes like this. While he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing through between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten men with leprosy, who stood at a distance, met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. 
Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face, giving thanks to him, and he was a Samaritan. But Jesus responded and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Was no one, who found, was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, like I said, this is a microcosm of that macro story that Jesus had just told. And we're going to look at something that's very kind of a couple points here that are kind of stand out, stand out to biblical scholars, stand out to us today. Number one, first point we're going to see is that this is a mixed group of people, right? Like Jesus calls out a certain person. He says, how come this one came back? He calls him a foreigner. And that's the guy uh, who was a Samaritan. Now, You've probably all heard of Samaritans, right? Everybody knows, like, you, can, you, you know, of, of nonprofits call that, are, that have Samaritan's Purse. You have the Good Samaritan. So, but what is a Samaritan? Like, what's the deal? Most of you probably know, if not all of you, know that Jews don't like Samaritans. But have you ever asked why? Like, what's the deal? Why would they, why would they not like them? So we're going to just, we're going to pause. We're going to do a quick history lesson. Everybody good with history? Who got an A in history? All right. And the rest of you got the grade I got. Perfect. Okay. Awesome. Okay, so just a quick history lesson, all right? And I don't have a map or anything. We're not, there's not being no notes or no test or anything like that, but just a quick history lesson. So back in the name, everybody remembers King David, right? That's the guy who slayed Goliath. He became king. So there's King David. King David has a son named Solomon. King Solomon, he's the wise guy, right? So King Solomon has two sons, one Rehoboam, and he's going to take over as king. But then a lot of people don't like him. They like his brother Jeroboam right? Anybody name their kid Jeroboam today? No? All right, cool. And so Jeroboam and Rehoboam have, are now they have competing people that want both of them to be king. So what happens is Jeroboam takes 10 of the tribes and he goes up north and they create another kingdom. So now the kingdom of Israel has split. The north kingdom is called the kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom where Rehoboam is, where kind of like the Jerusalem and the capital and all that stuff is, that's, that his is called the kingdom of Judah, right? So now you have the kingdom of Israel up here. We call it the north kingdom. And we have the south kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, right? So up here is, you know, kind of a bigger piece of land, but down here is where Jerusalem is and, and Bethlehem and all that kind of stuff, right? So the northern kingdom, well, they get overtaken by the Assyrians. And the Assyrians drive all the Israelites, except for a small group of them, they drive them all out of that land of Israel. And they replace them with Assyrians. So now we have Israelites and we have Assyrians and they start marrying each other and they start having kids and those kids we end up calling them Samaritans and the Jews don't like the Samaritans because it says in their it says in, in Deuteronomy and in their law that they should not intermarry that is part of their law from way way back then okay so they should not intermarry so then the Jews and the don't like the Samaritans because they've broken that law that's the first thing right so they call them that's why you have uh words like dog and and you'll and you'll even not today but you would have had people say stuff like derogatory terms like half-breeds to the samaritans because not only did they marry but they also brought their uh their gods with them so now even the israelite religion is being a little mixed up right now it's not just yahweh god now it's like some of these other gods and so it just becomes this very kind of conjumbled thing and so then the southern kingdom isn't like the northern kingdom because they're not they're not real anymore is what they think, all right? So that's number one, okay? That's, a, that's one, the racial thing. But then there's also a religious thing. So they have they've created this idea that, oh, Samaritans are bad. Now we can't mingle with the Samaritans. The, the Jews don't like the Samaritans because of that. Well, one of the high priest's grandsons ends up marrying a Samaritan woman. 
And it makes everyone in Jerusalem so upset that they kick him out. They say, you can leave, okay? So he goes up to Samaria, to where the Samaritan people are. He tells his father-in-law, his wife's, his wife's dad. And his father-in-law is like, you know what? We'll just build a temple here. So then they create a temple. So now you have the temple in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans build a temple on Mount Gerizim. Because there's a verse in Deuteronomy that says, bring all your blessings to Mount Gerizim, right? So now not only have they seemingly stolen their uh, uh, racial identity, now they feel the Samaritans are stealing their religious identity, right? Because now they got a temple that they've mocked after the, the Jerusalem temple. So now there's like this religious tension right here. And then the final thing that happens is, well, the southern kingdom later gets kind of kicked out and they get to go back and they get to rebuild those walls. Do you guys remember that story? Rebuild the walls? Well, the Samaritans come down and they say, hey, we want to help you rebuild your wall. And the Jewish people say, get out of here. We don't want your help. So then it creates even more animosity because now not only do you have someone that just thinks you're, you're not worth that much, but now they won't even accept your help. So what do you do? What would you do if someone didn't want to accept your help? You were giving them free help. They didn't want it. Well, now I might, well, you know, if you don't want my help, now you got me as an enemy, right? So now the Samaritans kind of, instead of helping them, now they're, trying, they're writing letters to the king like you shouldn't let this happen, all that kind of stuff. This is hundreds of years before Jesus even shows up on the, on the picture. So you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of people just clashing, right? People just saying, like, you get mad at someone because they talked about your mama 10 years ago, right? You're mad at someone right now, and you don't even remember why. You just know you don't like them. You can remember what happened. You just knew they dated your ex-boyfriend, ex. Or I don't know how it went. Like, do you just, but people get mad about the, the craziest things now. Girls in, in youth group used to come up like, Charlie, I just can't. I just can't. She was my best friend, and she's not anymore because um, she texted or I texted her, and she didn't text back. She left me on red. I was like, I don't even know what that means. Um, and, but people get mad about the craziest stuff. This is, a, this is an anger and a tension that has been there for, for hundreds of years. In their history between Jews and Samaritans, uh, Jewish people have gone up and destroyed the temple on Mount Gerizim. Samaritans have come in to the Jerusalem temple, and they, and they scattered um, dead people's bones all over to make the whole temple unclean. Like this is, a, this is a real war. Bloodshed has happened. And yet in this story, you see Samaritans and Jewish people hanging out together. Why? Well, because all of a sudden, when you're struck with leprosy, those things that were important hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago and even a couple days ago don't seem as important anymore, yeah? All of a sudden, the trials that they were going through before they were sick don't seem to be as big of a deal as the trial they're going through right now. And especially a trial of a leper. You see, a leper was actually ostracized. They were in extreme quarantine. They were not allowed anywhere in the city. They were not any, allowed anywhere near their family. In fact, if you were between 50 and 100 yards away from a leper, it was the leper's job to yell out to you, unclean, unclean, so that you could not get infected. And that is the trial of a leper. And so all of a sudden, the trial of a leper seems to take more importance than the trial of being a Jew or a Samaritan. And what does that mean for us today? Well, let me tell you. In looking at this and in living life, I've noticed this, that trials and life experiences can, and then you just, if you're taking notes, you need to write this, trials can, and you need to underline can, can break barriers. This is what I mean. I'm going to talk to, to you Christians for a second, you, you, you strong Christians. 
is you have a story and some of your story isn't that pretty, right? Some of your story is a little unpretty. And you've been a little ashamed to tell that story. Can I just tell you this real quick? That story you have can break barriers between people that you think you would never be able to talk to in your life. People that won't think, talk, act totally different than you. Because your trial is something they can maybe identify with. It's funny that people on both sides of a political aisle or both sides of a religious aisle can both go through the same life experience, right? They might handle it differently, but they can both go through that same life experience. Do you know what kind of bond you can have when you start sharing what you've been through? Parent, really quick, do you know what kind of bond you can have with your kid when you start sharing the things that maybe you've been through that aren't the prettiest in your life? That when you say, hey, don't do that because I said so, maybe it's she, don't do that because, you know, one time I did and this is what happened. I understand the idea of, well, I don't want to glorify it, which I totally get. Do not, listen, don't brag to me ever about, oh, I used to shotgun 12 beers. I don't even know what that means. I'm not going to lie to you. I think that just means shooting a gun at a beer. Like, that's all that means. Like, I have no idea. So don't, you don't glorify it. You're not like telling your testimony and this is all the crazy stuff I did. Aren't I so tough? That is not the point of a testimony. The point of a testimony is this. You share real pain and you share real things that happened that you had to go through or you, you either chose or you didn't choose. And when you share that, someone else that might think, talk, act, be different than you can all of a sudden feel like, well, wait, there's a connection here. And it's bigger than, well, I just think, talk, act, and, you know, might be the same as you. No, that connection is weak. But when we've been through the same life experience, whoa, there's something there. Trials can break barriers. You have the opportunity within your story to say something. But can I also tell you what trials can do? Trials can build even bigger barriers. Some of you don't like your story, so what do you do? Well, I just won't share it. And in fact, I won't share it, but there's pain there. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to build a wall around everyone that has ever even maybe been through that because I don't want to recollect on what that was going through. In fact, let me just make my life as easy as possible. So I'll build barriers up to all the people that think and talk and look like me because that would make me feel more comfortable. And when you get in that group, then you're like, you know what? Some of these people are a little different than me. So let me build barriers around an even smaller group and smaller and smaller and smaller. Can I just tell you this real quick? Your flesh, the world, the media, anyone in this place, their initial reaction will not be to unite. It will be to divide, including you. It will be to divide and to hide. What is the first thing you see Adam and Eve do when they sin? They hide. Who do they hide? They hide first they hide from, the, from each other, right? They notice that they're naked. What do they do? They make fig leaves and they, they cover themselves up. They don't feel comfortable anymore being vulnerable around the only person that they've ever known. All of a sudden, it's like, I have to hide. And then when God comes in, what do they actually? They actually hide. They, they hide away. They don't want to be anywhere around. That is going to be your initial flesh response will be to hide. That is why it's so easy for you. That's why it's so easy for me to not talk about some of the hardest moments of my life, some of the biggest struggles of my life is because, hey, listen, I just want to kind of forget about it. I don't want that to be a part of me anymore, but I just need, I just want to make this clear. And because I, I, I think you, I just messed up the camera guy. I'm so sorry. I'm going to stand and sit. So you're going to do some work today. Um, when you feel that shame, when you feel shame and you hide it, you have made yourself the center of your own story. 
And I'm talking to Christians right now. Christian, you've made yourself the center of the whole story, but do you understand that when you chose Christ as your Savior, that he removed you as the center of your story? You see, you're, you're not telling your story because you're afraid of how it will look for you. Can I just tell you that that story that you have isn't your story anymore? That the day you got saved, it stopped becoming your story and started becoming his story. And so it's not about, listen, it's not about I don't want to share my story. It's that all of a sudden becomes this, I don't want to share his story. And that can't be one of our options. When we chose this life as a Christian, it was that I was going to share my story. I am going to share what I came through and not how I got through it by myself because I'm so tough and rugged. No, I'm going to tell you how God brought me through it. And that story, let me tell you, that story can break any barrier. You want to know why people get saved? It's because of that story. I, I'm going to brag on Robert Arroyo for a second. I've, I've only been here, like, you know, I think it's 10 months now, right? 10 months. I've been here 10 months. I've probably met five people, five people in the last 10 months that tell me that the reason that their life is the way, that they're taking their life seriously with God is because Robert reached out to them and, and, and just encouraged them with his story and, and just preaching to them. Five people. He's like 21, okay? I'm like 34, and I preach a lot, okay? I don't even know if five people would, I think five people would kind of say that about me, but, but maybe. That's crazy, but that's how powerful a story is. Robert only has 20 years of a story. Some of you got a lot more than that, amen? Or don't, amen, I don't know if you want to amen. That's how powerful your story can be. So use that story, break those barriers. You see it in life. Why can't we see it in the church? So do that for me today, church, okay? So, so that's the trials can break barriers. That's the first thing we see with a cure. We know that people are suffering and we know that our story can help them because our story involves a cure, right? And so we're gonna talk about what the cure brings. So let's, let's skip down all the way to verse, we're gonna start in verse 14. So we already know kind of the, the beginning. We know he traveled. But let's look at this, this part right here. It says, when he saw them, he's talking to those 10 lepers. He said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, imagine turning, remember, they had to yell out because they're probably between 50 and 100 yards away. As they turn around, they were cleansed. Okay, so we know they turn around, they're cleansed. What would you do if you were cleansed of a disease that had stopped you from seeing your family and your friends? You'd probably just, I mean, you'd be going nuts, right? Like it'd be going crazy right now. And so they're, they're jumping in and probably hollering and they probably are the 10 lepers leaping as they, as, they, as they leave that place. But one of them, one of them turns around and says, now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back glorifying God with a loud voice and he fell on his face uh, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. But Jesus responded and said, were there not 10 cleansed, but the nine, where are they? So let's just, let's just talk about the nine really quick. So the nine get cleansed, they turn around and they leave. And what are they leaving to? I mean, they're going, they're going, they're going to go do what Jesus said because that is part of their religious law. They're going to do the religious thing. They're going to go, and then they're going to go back to the way things were, right? They're going to go back to their old lives. That's probably what they've been wanting so much. I just want to go back to my old life. I just want to, I just want to go back to my house. I just, want to, I just don't want to feel this leprosy on my skin anymore. I just want to go back to the way things were. Man, have you ever said that before? in the last 10 months? I just want to go back to the way things were. I just want to go back to the way things used to be. It was so much nicer back then. And if you were really honest with yourself back then, you were complaining that things weren't the way they were before. And it just, 
the whole thing, right? But that's what these nine do. I just want to go back. They follow the crowd right back to where they had started before they had leprosy. And to them, that's good enough. But to one guy, it isn't. To one guy, he notices something. He says, I not only have new skin, that because of what that Jesus guy did, I got a new life. So I need to turn around and get back to him as soon as I can. And he turns around and goes back to him. And he switches everything up. And Jesus notices. How many times have you asked for something and you prayed so hard and you finally got it and when you finally got it, you just went right back to the way things were? Man, remember when you were like really praying? Remember when you were like just interceding? Oh God, and you were in your Bible like three times a day and you were, you remember that? You remember that? And you were like praying and everything was, you know, every time someone had a prayer request, you, you had that one thing you were praying for, all that stuff and, and God had, and you had just felt so close and then something either happened or you finally came out of something. You were really great at crying out, but how good, at, how good were you at flipping into a new life? and not reverting back to your old one. How many of you are in this room because something's going on crazy in your life right now, but once it all kind of settles down, you won't be in this room anymore or you won't be watching on the screen anymore? How many of us sometimes when we get what we wanted from God, when our, when our prayers are finally answered, we just kind of revert back? Can I tell you, that's not what Jesus called you to do. He does not want your old life back. In fact, this is, what, this is the second point. God wants something new for you. God wants something new for you. Real quick, and I, listen, I'm, I'm talking to everybody, but if you are between the ages of 18 and like 27 right now, I'm just, like, you just listen real quick. I understand how hard it is, especially if you grew up in church. I understand how hard it is when you graduate youth group or when you get out of something or when you have like a, a real set something done and you were in an internship or whatever it is that you did and you felt really close to God and you graduated or came out of that and all of a sudden you know if you were a, I'm a, I volunteer I really love youth uh so like I, I volunteer here on Wednesday nights um there was a fart bomb the other night it was sweet it was like I, I love youth group it, fart bomb would never happen here please please nobody get any ideas but but that's youth group man youth group you just never know what's going to happen that night it's just like we're just like looking around so that's why i love i love youth ministry i did it for 15 years before i got here i'm glad to be a youth leader and not the youth pastor because pastor charlie's job is really really hard and uh and so i just but i remember this i remember kids graduating from youth group and feeling like i'm just not as close to god i wish and this is what they would say i wish i could go back to the way I used to be when I was so close to God because we'd go to conventions and camps and all that kind of stuff. That's old. That's old. You don't want, I don't want, you know what God doesn't want? God doesn't want your 17-year-old faith. You might be in here, you might be 34, feeling like, man, I wish I had the faith I had when I was 16. I was so close to God when I was 16. God doesn't want your 16-year-old faith anymore. God doesn't want you to live in the past. God wants you to be future-focused. You know, when I was, when I was growing up, um, my family did not have a lot of money. So I had, and I'm the oldest, so there were no hand-me-downs yet. So my clothes all came from the local thrift store. Now, now thrift stores pop in or something like that. I don't know. Everybody goes, oh, I've got this thrifting. That, that's great. Back in my day, it was not as cool. And so I had like old pants from, from someone else, you know, that whole thing. And, and, uh, and let me tell you this. God doesn't want your thrift shop faith. God doesn't want old faith on you. God doesn't want a thrift shop life on you. God wants a new life on you. 
He wants you to be future focused. He wants you to focus on what is coming. Not always looking back and saying, man, I wish it was like that again. When you have the opportunity to grow, take it. When you have the opportunity to turn around and to start a new life, take it. And I'm talking to Christians as well who have kind of reverted back to the old, 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 and then when things go, oh, I got to do something new, and then you just revert back to the old, that is not the, the faith God wants you to have. God does not want you to have thrift shop faith. He wants brand new faith on you. He wants you when you're 30 to have a, a future faith than you did when you were 20. He wants you when you're 40 to have, to have a different kind of faith than you did when you were 30. He wants you to not kind of revert back and sit back and relax and be like, all right, I can cruise now. I'm a Christian. I'm 40. I can cruise up until the end of my life. No, he wants you leaning forward and saying, all right, God, what's next? What's my future look like? What's my next 10 years look like? What's the next, what's the next part of my life going to involve? Because I can't just recreate what I did 10 years ago. That's not going to work anymore. God has something new right here in staff we have a, a core value called future focus because we don't want to be in the prison of what we used to do we want to be free to say all right god where do you have us going i'm going to use the past as a great launching pad to tell me where i'm going to go but i'm not going to look at the past with envy and say man i wish i was there again i'm going to say god where do you got me going this time that is the kind of life god wants for you today and the final thing that we notice here in the story is who turns around? Was there any of the people from Jesus' land? Jesus, remember, is from Nazareth. He's Jesus from Nazareth, which is above, kind of more north, but he was born in Bethlehem. So these people are Jesus' people, right? They are Jews. And who comes back? A Samaritan. A Samaritan. Someone that Jesus has probably heard derogatory things of not only a samaritan but a former leper he's probably who has not gone to the priest yet to be cleansed so technically still dirty and he looks at that man and he does not see his past illness he does not see his ethnicity he does not see anything else he just sees the man who turned around and what does he tell that man stand up your faith has made you well stand up and go your faith has made you well. Some of you in here today, you've come into church and you are afraid that what you have done is so dirty and so rotten and so whatever that God cannot do anything for you. That the cure will not get you. You know, we have all these vaccines, 95%, 94%. I think polio is something like 98%. Can I tell you this about Christ? He is 100% effective. It does not matter what you've been through, okay? It does not matter what your past involves. It is 100% effective. It does not exclude you. It envelops you. It does not leave you out. It brings you in. And the people in this church, as far as I can tell, are not ones to exclude you because of your past or exclude you because of the way that you think or exclude you because of the way that you've lived your life previously before Christ. It is one that envelops you. It is one that will love and care and will serve you. And in turn, that you will learn to love and care and serve others. He is 100% effective. And I don't know where you are right now in your walk with Christ. I really don't. I don't know if you're struggling with sharing your story because of the barriers that you have sent up. I don't know if you've been kind of 
floating in and floating out and floating in and floating out, going back to your old life. Or I don't know if you stand here today or sit here today, and you've never actually accepted Christ. You always thought that cure was for others. But can I tell you that this Christmas, it's for you. It's 100% for you. It doesn't matter your past. He doesn't see that. It doesn't matter your, your sickness. He doesn't see that. Do you know that, that the reason they had to stand so far back, the lepers, so they wouldn't infect anybody? So that's why they stood so far back from Jesus and screamed out to him. His holiness surpassed those 100 yards, went right over to the lepers. What they thought was a safe distance, distance to not infect him, he said, with my holiness, distance is no matter. We'll travel as far as it can to get to you. So you are not too far from God to come back to him today. This is what we're going to do. Can you bow your heads, close your eyes? We're going to end out this morning. And if today, if today, whether you're here in this building or if you're online, if today you want to accept that Christ that is 100% effective in your life and you want to say I want him to be my savior I want him to be the center of my story I want to step aside and I want to let him run my story if that's you today if you're online just raise your hand just by yourself if you're here in this room can you just raise your hand really quick I should have prayed with you I'm going to pray really quick. If you want to pray this prayer, you don't have to pray it out loud. I'm just going to pray it. You just have to agree with me, and then I'm going to give you a couple simple instructions. Father, whether online or in the building, Jesus, there are those that need to step aside and let you be the center of their life. They need to accept you, not as a Jesus who lived, but as a Christ and a Savior. So Jesus, we pray that as they are praying this prayer, that your Holy Spirit would envelop them would start speaking truth into their lives, would convict the things that need to be convicted, but God, that you do not bring shame. That is never part of what you do. And Father, they will accept you today as a Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that prayer or felt that prayer in your heart, we have a couple things. Number one, we have a card for you to fill out. They'll be over here. Um, the prayer warriors will be over here to pray with you if you want that. If you don't feel comfortable with that, that's totally fine. If you scan the QR code in front of you, or if you go on our website, you can go to Accepted Christ, and you're going to get, uh, and you just fill it out super easy, and they're going to send you some devotional stuff. Your name is going to be sent to one of our pastors. They're going to call you later in the week, and we want to uh, we want to know you and we want to help you in this beginning of your journey. So whether you're online doing that right now or, or if you're here and you just didn't feel comfortable going over to the side or anything like that, you can just do that on your phone or when you get home or anything like that. But we'd love you. If you guys could stand with me, I'm just going to pray a blessing over you as you guys leave today. Um, Father, God, give us a safe Christmas. God, let us remember the point of Christmas. God, let us take some time within the time, uh, whether we're Zooming our families or, Father, whether we're gathering with our families or whether we're just having a small little thing with our friends or whatever we're going to do, that, Father, we would take the time to remember what you did. God, the cure came on that day. 
as the form of a baby. So God, let us remember that and let us react in the proper way to that cure. In your name we pray, amen. God bless you, church. We'll see you guys later. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.